This is Midday Magazine for Tuesday, December 26th. I'm Shelby Herbert. Russia will no longer be able to sell seafood to U.S. markets after processing products through other countries. That's the gist of an executive order President Joe Biden signed last Friday to close a loophole after the federal government banned direct seafood imports from Russia last year. Senator Gary Stevens is president of the Alaska State Senate and represents fishing communities. It's really been unfair, and I'm glad it's going to be resolved here. And, you know, it just really has an impact on everyone in Kodiak, both, uh, both the processors and the fishermen and the, and the workers in the plants and all that. You know, uh, it'll just make up a level field that we can all uh, fairly uh, deal with. Fisheries have been struggling this year. And marketing executives and processors alike have blamed Russia for flooding markets for its seafood as a major reason for low prices offered to Alaska fishermen. The initial ban on Russian seafood was enacted after the country invaded Ukraine. While Russian seafood processors have been unable to directly export products to the United States since then, they have gotten around the ban by having fish processed or significantly modified in other countries like China. U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan says he's been working on closing the loophole since the initial ban on Russian seafood. It's a long overdue win for Alaskan fishermen, American fishermen, for sustainable and environmentally sound fisheries for the numerous coastal communities in Alaska that support our fishing fleet. Sullivan says this opens a huge market for domestic seafood producers to fill demand and hopes it will raise prices for Alaska fishermen. We have plenty of fish in Alaska that can source any of these products that you need. Sullivan also touted Alaska's standards for environmental protection and labor reputation when compared to its Russian and Chinese counterparts. He said that no new contracts can be signed to import Russian seafood from other countries. He also said any existing contracts must also be fulfilled or surrendered within the next 60 days. Petersburg's Borough Assembly at its meeting last week voted down a resolution to give a decommissioned fire truck to Hyder's new volunteer fire department. Now it'll go to a public auction. Some assembly members were swayed by a local businessman who wants to use the truck to protect his boatyard. John Murgis was listening to KFSK's evening news broadcast in his workshop when something caught his ear. He learned that the borough assembly was looking at practically giving away fire engine number five, a truck he actually used to drive around when he was a volunteer firefighter years ago. I just got excited when I found out it was such short notice that it was leaving town. And, and, you know, it's, it's like, oh my God, tomorrow I might see it at the ferry terminal and it'd be gone, you know. It's, uh... The Petersburg Volunteer Fire Department took the engine out of service in early December. They determined that the almost 33-year-old truck has a low resale value and wouldn't be of much use to most fire departments. But they said that it could be of use to a community that doesn't have any firefighting equipment at all, like the city of Hyder on the border with Canada. The borough was looking at selling it to the burgeoning fire department for just $1. When Murgis heard the news, he rushed out the door, checkbook in hand. 
At that night's assembly meeting, he said he's willing to put down at least $10,000 for the engine. It just has so much value to the community. I think it would behoove the residents to have that here for us to, to use. And that's so he can protect his property and his customers' property in an emergency. Murgis owns and operates Petersburg Marine, a shipyard about three miles outside town. He's still haunted by a boat fire that happened at his business a couple years ago. The Nitty Gritty, a 31-foot commercial fishing vessel used for gill netting and trolling, caught fire on a spring afternoon in 2021. Firefighters suspected that an electric heater on board sparked the blaze. It took them about 10 minutes to get to the boatyard, which is about three miles away from Petersburg. The fire quickly progressed into open flames before the fire trucks got here, and then they attacked it with uh, their hose lines and so forth. By then, it was pretty much fully engulfed. And to make a long story short, here is the end result. Murgis pulls up some pictures he's kept of the charred boat. Its fiberglass cabin and engine compartment melted from the heat of the flames. It was a total loss. As a retired firefighter, Murgis says he has intimate knowledge of the extended length of time it can take for emergency personnel to reach fires that happen outside of town like the one at his boatyard. When a boat catches on fire, there usually isn't much time to respond. The amount of time it would take to go back to Scow Bay Fire Hall and get something rolling and getting up there it would be many minutes. And that's why he wants to buy the fire engine. Murgis says having firefighting equipment on site could shave off valuable response time. Aaron Hankins is the director of Petersburg Fire and EMS. He acknowledges that it can be hard to quickly reach fires that happen out of town. But he says people who live even farther outside of town, outside service area one, could have more trouble getting help. Petersburg Fire Department actually has to get permission from the borough to respond to fires more than about nine miles out of town. Hankin says they pretty much always get the borough's blessing. But there's a catch. We like to help our neighbors. We certainly want to help everyone. But our first duty is to service Area 1, the people who foot the bill for the fire response. He says their policy is that if they get called out to fight a fire outside of service Area 1, and if then another fire crops up inside service Area 1, they have to drop everything and return to Petersburg to fight that fire. That's why, Haken says, he understands why locals might want to bid on the truck. But he's also concerned about what could happen when the equipment falls into public hands. The borough assembly has the authority to do with borough assets as they so choose. And I would hope that whoever is using this apparatus trains with it regularly and at least make sure it's ready for response. And Hankins isn't alone in his concern. Thomas Fine Walsh is the only assembly member who voted in favor of giving Engine 5 over to Hyder. He said the borough's tradition of giving away decommissioned vehicles to communities that need them is not one the assembly should just throw aside. I understand the desire to sort of keep keep these uh, resources local, but uh, I think in the in the broader scheme of things, in terms of the overall value of the borough's uh, you know assets, uh, vehicle assets, and, and and our budget, this is this is quite small, and uh, I think it could make a really big difference for a community like Hyder. So something to consider. 
Hankin says he still thinks auctioning off the fire engine is a bad idea, but his hands are tied. So he says there are three things he wants potential buyers to be aware of. First, maintenance costs. Hankin says fire trucks like engine number five are made to order. So whoever buys it could have a hard time securing new parts. Um, the impellers for the pumps, the chassis itself, you know, the boxes, everything is all custom. And so you have to say, okay, I need this part. Can you make it for me? Well, you know, we don't make that part anymore. We're going to have to find someone to custom make it or custom forge it, mold it, you know, however it's made. And second, he thinks it'll be difficult for the buyer to secure the water they need to actually put out fires. Unauthorized users, meaning anybody who isn't an emergency responder using an emergency vehicle, aren't allowed to hook up their hoses to fire hydrants. So the buyer would have to draft the water on their own. The only way you're going to get water out of there is to pull it out of the ocean or pull it out of a creek. Um, and to pull it out of a creek, now you're fighting with DNR to get permission to do that. And third, liability. Hankin says that any member of the public who fights a fire on another person's property could be held accountable for things that go wrong. The private entity that is operating it resumes all liability for its response. All of it. Murgis, for his part, is undeterred. Every person in their youth, I was going to say every little boy, dreams of being a firefighter. <laughs> the borough has not yet set a date for the auction of engine number five. The proceeds from the sale would go back into Petersburg Volunteer Fire Department's motor pool funds. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. It can be hard to see a doctor quickly in Juneau. Until this week, there were only two urgent care centers in town. So when the Southeast Regional Health Consortium opened a new one last week, it was busy right away. That's according to Martin Benning with Search. We haven't even been open the full day. We've seen over 20 patients this morning. Benning says the organization was eager to get the urgent care center open because their other location by Twin Lakes is often full. We opened urgent care at Mountainside Urgent Care two years ago uh, because our community needs assessment showed that urgent care services was underserved in Juneau. So we opened that up and very quickly it was over capacity. The new facility is at Search's campus in the Mendenhall Valley by Safeway. Starting in January, the campus will also offer primary care, pediatrics, behavioral health, optometry, and more. While Search is Alaska Native run, the organization has been serving all Juno residents for a few years. Winter holidays can be a wonderful celebratory time, but they can also be a stressful or sad time, especially for people who have recently experienced loss. Anchorage therapist Addie Esco spent time in Wrangell supporting local residents after a deadly landslide killed six community members last month. She talked with Alaska Public Media's Rachel Cassandra about how to navigate holidays while recovering from traumatic or difficult times. She says it's important to set realistic expectations for the season. Sometimes either we have an idea of what we feel like the holidays should look like or what we even just generally want them to look like. And so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And sometimes we need to be really gentle with ourselves and know that that's just not the way things are going to be right now. And so that might mean scaling back what we do. It might mean saying no to a few things. 
that might mean doing things in a different type of a way. For each person, you have to find that balance of honoring those traditions, honoring the memories that you have with a certain person or with family members, and then looking for ways as you're ready to create some of those new traditions. Trying to keep things similar to what they've always done Mm -hmm. could be either harder or easier than trying to do something different. Yep. And and you're right. That's going to be like different for everyone, I think. And please be gentle with yourself. Recognize you're a person with limits who's going through something very, very difficult. In this holiday season, it's going to feel different this year. And that's sad. And that's hard. And so let yourself feel those things. It's okay if you're sad. It's okay if you find yourself getting angry about what's happened. Let yourself grieve. And the way that you're grieving is going to be probably pretty different than your spouse or your sibling or the community. And I think this is where some people can get tripped up to let yourself when it comes to also experience that happiness and joy. Sometimes, especially when we're so close to such a significant loss, we can stop ourselves from being happy in a moment because we feel guilty. I think it's really important for us to let ourselves feel joy when it comes because we need that. And just know that there's not one way to grieve. You might be feeling really awesome. And then out of nowhere, a sight, a song, a smell is going to hit you like a wave and it's going to knock you off your feet. You got to take it a moment at a time, a day at a time. And that's okay. Is there advice that you have if you're supporting a child or a young person who has had a rough time or lost someone this year? Yeah, for sure. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to talk about that person. Sometimes we shy away from the hard things because we're afraid of making kids sad. Kids are really great at letting us know when they want to talk and when they don't. But sometimes kids aren't going to ask. And so for kids, if adults are skirting around a memory or if they're skirting around a loved one who passed away, that might come across as we are moving on too fast. And do you have advice for people who may not have happy holiday memories from growing up? Yeah. Holidays are a super tricky thing because a lot of times the messages we get all around us is that like it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Well, sometimes it doesn't feel that way because of the way we grew up. And so looking for opportunities for people to connect with the world around them, find your people, whether that's a group of people from work, whether that's if you're part of a faith community, if you're doing some volunteer work, like find people that you can derive some of that support from so that you can intentionally start to build some of those memories yourself. That was Anchorage therapist Addie Esco talking with Alaska Public Media's Rachel Cassandra about how to navigate the holidays during hard times. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert. (laughs) 